Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne and broadcast nationally via the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. Uh, I've been around for quite a while at Friends of the Earth now, so my uh, original, I guess, uh, uh, activist story was um, seeing large areas being destroyed for forestry, which led me to the Franklin River blockade and to see that uh, protest was not only necessary in order to protect the environment, it was also very successful at protecting the environment. So, I, you know, at a very young age, I went to the Franklin River, I was involved in the protest down there, I was arrested and spent a week in jail. And I guess, uh, you know, that really opened my eyes to the need for people to stand up for things that they think are right and uh, that sometimes, you know, that type of involvement uh, leads you into um, disagreements with the law of the day. Uh, but however, that needs to be a part, it needs to be a tool in the box that the environment movement uses. We use lobbying, we use advocacy, we use intervention in the media, we do all those things, but I think the protest is and remains a really important tool to have in the box. I cannot stress enough that radicals have contributed to our country in terms of the arts, our legislation and shaping our country's character and they'll continue to contribute. What we don't want is to to have a chilling effect on any public debate or public discourse centred around controversial topics. Well, it looks like the federal government has egg on their face again. On the 21st of September, the Federal Justice Minister and the Attorney General's Department launched a booklet titled Preventing Violent Extremism and Radicalisation in Australia. The kit is directed towards young people and those working with them, including schools. While the kit covers different types of violence and so-called extremism, what really caught public attention and led to ridicule both here and internationally was the case study of the fictional environmental activist Karen. In this supposed case study, Karen is drawn into student politics and environmental activism via the alternative music scene. Karen goes on to be involved in direct action forest camps before finally transitioning out of her supposed extremism to work with a mainstream environmental NGO on policy. Now, there's nothing like using the term alternative music to make you sound like an out-of-touch, reactionary old fogey. But there's a troubling side to the government's latest blunder. On today's show, we speak with Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth, who are calling for the immediate withdrawal of the kit. And we also hear from Lydia Shelley, a lawyer and community advocate, about the broader context of attacks on civil liberties and the dog-whistle Islamophobia latent in the government's propaganda about violent extremism. Cam, can you explain what is Friends of the Earth's objection to this booklet? The booklet itself uh, serves a purpose, of course, in terms of identifying pathways towards radicalism. For instance, it focuses quite strongly on the neo-Nazi movements that are in Australia. Uh, obviously, some aspects of the extremist religious approaches are also very worrying. Um, we're very perturbed that it also weaves in animal liberationists uh, environmental activists, even people that are concerned about uh, gun control, uh, into uh, the net 
that suggests that uh, these are radicals with a propensity for violent action. And in particular, it talks about environmental activism uh, as being a subset of what they call issue-based violent extremism. And we would say that issue-based violent extremism as it relates to environmental activism simply doesn't happen here. It never has occurred here. And the case study references tactics that have not even ever been used uh, in the Australian context, to the best of my knowledge. So it's troubling, uh, but it's also uh, very disturbing in that it uh, draws a link that doesn't exist between caring for the environment and violent extremism. I think it's very interesting uh, the way that the that environmentalism has been and, and animal liberation struggles have been placed uh, in the context of white nationalism and uh, and other forms of violence. It seems to be uh, kind of positing the view that all uh, kinds of non-mainstream views and ideologies somehow sit evenly within this spectrum of uh, extremism and and you know mainstream views, and uh, it sort of seems to sort of flatten out all those all these ideologies, which are you know really quite different. Yes, that's absolutely right, and uh, some of the media reports that reference. The key people who contributed to this report highlight that fact. Uh, one professor who's quoted extensively through the book said it, it was never intended for public use anyway because of the, the nature of the information that was in there. And another one, an academic from Victoria University, explicitly talked about the issue of the, the so-called activist Karen and said that as an example of violent extremism, it, quote, fudges and blurs some of the lines between activism and violence. So what they've done is create a series of dots that are not connected. For instance, interest in, interest in alter, alternative music uh, and then environmental activism and then violent activism. So they've created these dots and then they've drawn a line where one really doesn't exist. Something, uh, another point which, which I find quite worrying about the booklet is uh, it seems to be drawing a distinction between acceptable forms of activism and unacceptable forms of activism and unacceptable forms of activism being, uh, you know, in this context really sort of alluded to as violent and extreme. Do you think this is about trying to drive a wedge uh, between different forms of activists or sort of just regurgitating the same tired old uh, rhetoric of good and bad activists and good and bad kinds of activism? I think uh, there's a very clear uh ideological position that was exhibited very strongly by the previous Prime Minister and the people closest to him uh, and that was that they don't like environmental activism in general and there's currently a House of Representatives inquiry into the tax status of green groups and a you know, dominant theme and it's controlled by the coalition of course the dominant theme that has come out of that is this notion of good or appropriate activism i.e. planting trees and bad activism i.e. being involved in advocacy so anything that actually involves any form of civil disobedience of course is you know, extremely bad um, under those very simplistic categories so there's no doubt this ideology at play here. I think uh, the timing of this uh, booklet, the release of the booklet, is interesting because it was clearly an ideological product of the era of Tony Abbott, um, and yet it's been released um, on the watch of Malcolm Turnbull. Now, many people, of course, are hoping that Malcolm will end the ideological war against both the environment movement and the environment. Uh, so it's very telling that they've actually put this report out now 
it's interesting that in in the original version of the booklet there was even a photo of people at a protest on a beach in Western Australia opposing shark culling. Now, anyone who went to these massive events a couple of years ago, they were held nationwide. They were the most family-friendly protests I've ever been to. They were completely non-violent. There was not even a suggestion of, you know, of, of physical protesting. It was simply rallies uh, with some speakers and placards. So the fact that that image was posited into a book that's talking about um, extremist and violent activism really has to make you wonder about um, the, the mental processes of the people that put the book together, but certainly ideology that sits behind the creation of this booklet. Seeing the release of this booklet led me to think about uh, what's been happening in the United States for a few years now. It's referred to as the Green Scare, uh, which has involved the FBI and other agencies in the United States targeting environmental activists and animal liberation activists, including some high-profile cases of entrapment, uh, imprisonment and, and later release of, of um, activists. Do you think that uh, we're looking at anything similar in Australia in terms of an increasing vilification uh, by the state and increasing um, criminalisation by the state of environmental activists? Certainly with the current House of Representatives inquiry, there's been an attempt to wedge between good and bad activism, and bad activism, of course, in- includes any form of physical protest. Um, the cases are nowhere as advanced as they are in the United States, where the whole uh, Green Scare was a modern-day version of the Red Square, uh, Scare. To a degree, you could argue that the security forces need a villain in order to exist. They need a internal and an external enemy, and the environment movement is considered an internal enemy by some of the security forces in the United States. Um, thankfully, it's not as advanced here. Um, I'm not aware of any cases of people uh, being... Uh, you know, caught up in similar type of, of scares. Um, however, there is clearly an attempt by some within the federal coalition government to demonise environmentalists. And I can think of at least one North Queensland uh, member of parliament who is in the public realm calling environmentalists, quote, terrorists. So there's certainly some tendency to attempt to uh, paint environmentalists in that way on the part of people in the federal government. Uh, what are the broader sort of effects uh, that these uh, sort of discussions can have in in the community and who else maybe is targeted in this? This, uh, the booklet itself obviously has concerns around... um really what what you can't describe as anything other than racial profiling. And, and the example we gave was of a Muslim schoolboy that had expressed interest in the environment in a classroom discussion who was then subsequently questioned about Islamic State. So instantly a connection being drawn between concern for the environment and, you know, a, a terrorist organisation simply because of an expressed opinion. Uh, that's possibly an isolated incident, but it, it highlights the fact that um, any government program that identifies a religious group or an ethnic group as being problematic leads to many, many issues around profiling of people. And uh, we've witnessed that in, in policing attitudes here in Victoria. It's been very well documented and subject to, uh, as I understand it, various court cases. So you do have to worry about you know, the, the broader dimensions of what this type of profiling does to the, to the communities that are being identified. Um, and part of me wonders if they dropped in this uh, profile of Karen simply to show that, you know, it's not just the Muslims that we're after, 
quote unquote, but um, it's actually, uh, you know, more broadly those who are concerned about social change. So you have to be concerned about anything that involves racial profiling or ethnic profiling or religious profiling. And um, given the clear mistake that is being made to include environmental activism in the booklet, we would um, certainly recommend that it be withdrawn from public use. And we'd also note that some of the key people who did actually contribute to this booklet are saying it wasn't designed for public consumption. And that, we would argue, is another reason why it should be withdrawn from the public domain. It certainly shouldn't be used in Australian schools in its current form. Cam Walker from Friends of the Earth. And you can sign the petition calling for the withdrawal of the booklet by going to foe.org.au. You're listening to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories on the Community Radio Network. We're discussing the fallout from the federal government's anti-radicalisation kit and its framing of environmental activism as violent extremism. Joining me now on the phone is Lydia Shelley. She's a lawyer and community advocate. She's also a committee member uh, of the New South Wales Council for Civil Liberties and the vice president and co-founder of the Islamophobia Register. Thanks so much for joining me on the line. Thank you very much for having me. Lydia, you joined in the Twitter chorus of ridicule ridicule and condemnation that erupted upon the release of the government's anti-radicalisation kit. What were some of your concerns? Well, look, I think it's entirely inappropriate, the whole context of that booklet that's been released. And I'm against the teachers becoming um, intelligence operators for the government or indeed um, complicit in this how to spot a radical um, a radical program that's been introduced simply because we know from the UK experience that you can't reduce radicalisation down to a series of tick boxes. And there are concerns that some of these characteristics or the risk indicators that have been developed actually would identify people who are concerned with, for example, foreign conflicts, concerned with foreign policy, and they're very um, you know, open and advocate for civil liberties and things like that. And we can see that with that example of Karen, the way that that's been framed, that, that's actually quite alarming that that could happen in 2015 in Australia. Now, the government intended this uh, book to be used in schools. What specifically about its use in schools concerns you? Simply put, radicalisation is such a huge in-depth issue that it can't be reduced down to a booklet for starters. So if you're equipping teachers with a booklet and saying, well, here's a booklet, if if you see anything, say something to us. First, Firstly, we don't know the exact issues or risk indicators or behaviours that teachers need to be on the lookout for because if it's going from what are some of the case studies in that booklet that really concerns me because we've got that issue of Karen who participated in um, lockouts so to speak they participated in she participated in environmental concerns and things like that now according to that booklet she's she's become radicalised that that concerns me for for that type of reasons in terms of it's dragging in people who are um, concerned about issues of civil liberties, concerned about the environment and, and protest movements and things like that. The other issue is we don't know how, if once a teacher does become concerned about a student, there's absolutely no transparency or accountability in how that child will then be referred on because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about children. We're not talking about adults. We're talking about children. 
And the concern that I have as a mum and as a community advocate and as a lawyer, so I'm wearing a lot of hats when I'm voicing my concerns, is that schools need to be safe spaces where children can raise controversial issues and talk it out. Because if we're constantly telling children to shh, don't talk about it, shh, don't talk about it, don't talk about armed conflict, don't talk about environmental issues, don't talk about civil liberties, that's concerning. Because in the absence of us discussing it with the children at schools, other people who perhaps do hold nefarious intent towards our country or towards civil liberties then fill that void. Now, there's a long history uh, in social movement struggles of uh, ideas that have seemed quite radical at the time uh, and have gone on to uh, change society uh, for the better. Should we perhaps be defending the right to be radical? Well, this is the other issue as well, and I'm glad that you've raised it, is that there, there is no evidence whatsoever to suggest that simply by holding radical beliefs, whatever those radical beliefs are, that it will lead you to becoming violent. The research actually shows us that you can be violent without holding radical beliefs and vice versa. So this issue that we're concentrating on this issue of radicalisation instead of countering violent extremism is concerning because you're quite right. We're moving into this grey area now where we're starting to um, almost police differences of, or, or convergence from the mainstream mainstream way of thinking or doing things. And again, in that booklet, we can use Karen as an example um, and in the notable, there's a, there's a hierarchy there of, of almost a chart that teachers can refer to. And one of the, the issues that, children, that the teachers are being told to mark as notable is that any child that um, doesn't fit into mainstream, mainstream society. Now, that, that's a very broad concept, very broad indeed. And potentially could include kids who are being bullied or, or kids who are, who are racialised or marked different for well, by a, society. That's exactly right. It's such a subjective term. And again, without, without having a very in-depth um, understanding of radicalisation and violent extremism, that can be used in a, very, um, in a way that could potentially destroy young children's lives. And it can leave a very bitter taste in the mouths of children who are trying to understand the world, who are trying to ask questions, who are trying to figure it out. It's almost like we're policing thought, we're policing, we're policing beliefs and things like that. I mean, that's very different to countering violent extremism and there needs to be a definite line in the sand so we don't cross over. Now, going back to our... Um uh, fictional environmental activist Karen. Um, she started off listening to alternative music and uh, then got involved in politics. Uh, you tweeted, uh, just imagine if Karen wore a hijab like me and was a Muslim. Do you think there was an assumption by some people in the environment movement, perhaps some, some of the folks who took to Twitter uh, to ridicule it, uh, to ridicule this example of Karen and, and the kit more generally? Do you think there was perhaps... Uh, an assumption that Karen would necessarily be white, Anglo-Saxon and Protestant. So maybe a bit of a blind spot in the environment movement here. Um, <laughs> Look, it was an assumption and, and that, that I, I tweeted that because it raises, it raises the fact that Muslims in Australia, particularly Muslim men, and now we're seeing Muslim children being viewed through this prism of radicalisation. We're no longer seen as just being, um, you know, for example, Muslim women are no longer being seen as objects of pity, the oppressed Muslim woman, that whole narrative. 
But now we're also being seen as symbols of terror as well and something to be feared because we're also being viewed through this prism of radicalisation. So it's interesting how within within that um, context of Karen, there was a lot of uproar about that. But at the same time, I just hope people can understand that if there were Muslim children who are in, interested in civil liberties, who are interested in um, in the environmental causes, they can see how compounded that, that issue of radicalisation and being identified as such is and what the unintended consequences that could flow from being identified as radicalisation if you're a young Muslim person today in 2015 in Australia. For example, um, I was pictured as an Australian Muslim professional woman in my capacity as a lawyer. I was on the front page of a daily of a national newspaper uh, and I was flanked either side uh, by my clients. It was a photo. And I was referred to as a female companion under the headline of homegrown extremism. I wasn't identified as a lawyer. I wasn't identified as the as my client's um, my lawyer in any capacity whatsoever. So the issue is in 2015, even myself as an Australian Muslim woman, I can be reduced to either a female companion or under an, under a banner of homegrown extremism. Um, and, the, and the assumption there is that I'm somehow radical as well. So the issue is that this has very real life consequences for our children and for our society. What we don't want is to have our children, our Muslim children, our Australian Muslim children, constantly being viewed um, through this prism of radicalisation and with suspicion. Well, in that context, how do you see the release by the government of this kit in the wake of nationwide Islamophobic protests organised by Reclaim Australia, amongst other groups? I think it was unnecessary. And indeed, some of the people who contributed to that booklet um, quite some time ago have been very vocal in their criticisms of how their contributions have been framed as well. So I would really question what the whole point of having these booklets released was. Um, indeed, I, I'm still scratching my head over it. it. It doesn't make any sense whatsoever. The Muslim community in Australia has consistently reached out to the government and we've wanted to be consulted um, on the basis that we strongly believe in social cohesion. We strongly also believe that any Australian shouldn't be vilified based on their religious belief or, or belonging to a certain group or a certain community. We've been very vocal about that and we've been very vocal about the fact that we don't want um, people going overseas and, and taking up arms to fight in whatever struggle they believe they're fighting for. We, we don't believe in that whatsoever. So it's concerning that it's almost out of the blue they release this booklet and it's not really going to have any tangible benefit whatsoever. What's even more alarming is that perhaps it suggests that um, our government on both the federal and the state level are still struggling to understand this whole issue of radicalisation. And that's what's concerning because up until this point, um, every single leg- piece of legislation that's been introduced has not adequately addressed the issues. For example, data retention in saying that we need it to to be safer, that's just outrageous. That's simply not true. And the fact of the matter is, with every piece of uh, legislation that's introduced under this assumption that we need it to be safer, has severely curtailed civil liberties in this country and it has also breached our international commitments under, under international law. I mean, we have to be very careful that we don't continue to sacrifice our civil liberties upon this, you know, this false paradigm that we need to continue to do that in order to be safer because it's just not true. Lydia Shelley, lawyer and civil liberties advocate. You've been listening to Earth Matters. 
Australia's weekly environmental justice program for Community Radio. I'm Tisha Nahern. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash earthmatters. Earth Matters would like to thank the Community Broadcasting Foundation for their financial support and the Community Radio Network for getting the program out to you. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on the lands of the Kulin Nations. You can contact us on 03-9419-8377 or earthmatters3cr at gmail.com. I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.